Amen. Church, would you pray with me as we uh, jump into the Word together this morning? God, we are so thankful for uh, your love for us. God, we are thankful that uh, we can uh, gather together and and hear from you this morning. Uh, Even though it's not uh, in person, God, you have blessed us with the technology where we can uh, share and and still gather together in some way, and we are thankful for that. Uh, God, we are thankful that uh, you look upon uh, broken, uh, seemingly useless things like me and, and like us, uh, sinners who uh, don't deserve your favor or your uh, grace and, and mercy. But uh, God, we thank you that you give it to us. God, that uh, that as Mary is going to sing about and share with us this morning, that uh, that you uh, use the humble, that you're able to uh, humble the proud and that you give grace to the humble. So uh, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would work in our lives this morning, and God, that we would be uh, prepared and and ready to hear what you have for us today. Uh, So God, we give this time to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Well, guys, uh, if you haven't been with us over the past few weeks, just to uh, catch you up on where we've been, uh, the first few stories in the book of Luke, we're still in Luke chapter one, but uh, over the first few weeks uh, studying this book, we have seen stories where uh, the angel Gabriel first in the first few verses of this book uh, came to a priest named Zechariah and announced to him that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby. Zachariah and Elizabeth were, they were old. Uh, they had not been able to have a child for, for, for years and years. And uh, God is doing something miraculous and telling them that even though they had been barren and without children, uh, God was going to give them a son. And that son was going to be a, a prophet that would uh, prepare the way for the Messiah, the one uh, that the people of Israel had been waiting for for years. Uh, he was going to be the prophet to come and to prepare the way for that Messiah. We saw after that, not long after that, uh, Gabriel comes back six months later uh, in uh, the following verses in uh, verse 26 through 38. We see Gabriel visit a young girl named Mary who was uh, promised to be married. She was engaged, but she wasn't married yet. And uh, he announces to her that she is going to be a mom, that she's going to have a child as well. And uh, even though she is a virgin and has not yet known a man, uh, God is going to supernaturally work in her and place his son, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, uh, inside of Mary, and and she would carry uh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then uh, last week, we looked at a story about how this young girl, this excited young Mary, uh, rushes off to go visit with her relative Elizabeth, and and the the miracle of these two pregnancies, and how they uh, were able to mutually encourage one another and uh, support one another in this godly community that God had given them in uh, that sweet time together. So uh, after uh, we see them get together and spend time uh, with Elizabeth encouraging Mary, uh, we get to the point where we are that we're going to look at this week. This week we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 56. And this passage that we're going to look at uh, is called uh, the, Mag- the Magnificat. It's Mary's song that she uh, sings out reflecting on all that God is doing in her life. And uh, that name, the Magnificat, uh, reflects the Latin wording of uh, the the song's first few words. So uh, it's a beautiful song that is filled with 
hope that is filled with just rich truth about who God is and and really points back to uh, what God has done in the Old Testament and points forward to uh, the way that God is going to work through uh, the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. So uh, this Magnificat is such a a brilliantly woven uh, tapestry of Scripture, and uh, we're going to get to dive into that and uh, consider that together this morning. There's a lot here to cover, so uh, if it feels like we are just speeding through, it's because because we are, but uh, we're going to uh, try to get all the way through this today and uh, hopefully do it in a timely fashion where you can still get to lunch in an appropriate time. Not that you're going anywhere, but you know, I guess just pause me. If I get too long, just pause me and you can come back and listen later. But uh, we're going to uh, consider uh, the, the first few verses. We're going to look at the personal reasons that Mary lists uh, that she has to praise and exalt the Lord. Uh, we're going to look at verses 46 through 50 uh, together as we start this morning. Verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has heard, he has regard for my humble state, for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations shall count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. As we start to look at this passage, I want to point out to you guys that every young Israelite, just like Mary was was a young Israelite that had grown up in an Israelite family, every young Israelite probably knew by heart by this point the songs of Hannah, the song of Deborah, the songs of David. These were songs that they would sing customarily on feast days when they would have certain holidays throughout the year. They would sing and reflect on these Bible verses. And so it's possible that as Mary is making the trip from Nazareth to Elizabeth's house that we talked about last week, she may have been pondering this story of how God had worked supernaturally in Hannah's life, the miraculous conception that that Hannah was going to have a baby, Samuel, and how that story was really very similar to to Mary's in some ways. So uh, it makes perfect sense that Hannah's song would be going through Mary's mind. And what we see here in uh, the beginning of Mary's song is uh, a a connection, a uh, kind of a, an echoing of uh, part of Hannah's song. So Mary begins her song by giving expression to the, this elevation of her soul that she had experienced. In verse 46 and 47, it says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. These opening words, my soul exalts the Lord, are even more expressive of her elevation of her spirit when they are literally translated. Uh, literally translated, uh, it says, my soul makes great the Lord, or my soul enlarges the Lord, makes bigger the Lord. The Latin translation's famous phrase, uh, forgive my Latin uh, pronunciations, it says, Magnificat anima mea dominum, 
which literally translated means my soul magnifies the Lord. It gives that same sense that, that, that Mary is making God big in her life. Uh, of course, we can't make God any bigger. God is already all-powerful and able to uh, create the world with just uh, speaking words, but uh, he can be enlarged in one's life, in, in one's soul, as Mary put it. Uh, we magnify or we enlarge God when we uh, take time to to think and to meditate on some new aspect of His greatness. Uh, as an example, if, if we were to uh, meditate on, uh, for the first time, some of the incredible texts that tell us about uh, creation, about who God is in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, or John chapter 1, the, the first few verses of the Gospel of John. These are incredible passages that talk about the greatness of God. And if we uh, take time to, to ponder and to consider and to think about uh, what those practically mean and, and just chew on those verses in our, our mind and in our heart, uh, they really make God really big uh, in our lives practically. He he. He just becomes more powerful in our life when we uh, ponder and consider and reflect uh, on uh, passages of Scripture like those and, and how incredible He is. Likewise, if we meditate on the Gospels and on the way that Jesus came and lived and His death and resurrection, those are incredible ways that, that we not only can expand our theological knowledge, not only do we expand our, our understanding in our heads, uh, but the fuller our knowledge of His greatness and, and the things that He did, it, it makes our ability to enlarge Him, it, it makes Him big in our life. There's things that are big in our life, and uh, the more we reflect and ponder on that, uh, we uh, make God big. And in that same way, that's what Mary's talking about, that uh, my soul makes great, my soul enlarges, my soul magnifies the Lord. And there's another aspect to this growth that the Magnificat points out that it should point out in our lives. Uh, it consists not only of enlarging the Lord uh, with our minds, not only enlarging our, our understanding of who He is, but uh, it also does so in the, the passion of our hearts, in our guts, in, in our bowels, as uh, the King James talks about it, our, our whole being. Uh, this is emphasized here in these verses. When we see Mary's opening line, uh, she uses a poetic device called parallelism. And Hebrew poetry, they would use parallelism. And parallelism is uh, expressing the same thought two different ways. Uh, and so when we see here, we see that Mary says, my soul praises the Lord. And then she also, she, she follows that up immediately by saying, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Soul and spirit uh, both refer to that, that inner self, that inner core of who Mary was. So uh, when she says, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, what she's saying is this is just a, a way of her uh, combining and saying with, with real emphasis Everything that I am, everything that I have, my total being uh, is, is trying as best as I can to magnify and to, to praise and to make big 
God, both in my life and in the way that I reflect him to other people. So as we follow on now after this celebration, this opening celebration, uh, Mary recites uh, some very personal reasons for uh, why she uh, wants to magnify and make great the name of the Lord. We see these in uh, verses 48, 49, and 50. And Mary's first reason that we see here in these verses was a direct allusion to uh, the petition of Hannah. There's a a direct connection back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, where we see Hannah weeping bitterly and and begging God for a child. And in 1 Samuel 1, verse 11, Hannah says, it says that she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, And not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. That uh, the 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 way that uh, Mary's uh, prayer is translated in Luke chapter one uh, is the the same wording that's used from Hannah uh, when they translated Hannah's passage into uh, the Greek into. Uh, the the translation that Mary would have known. Uh, it's translated as humble state. My, my humble estate. The Lord has looked on my humble estate. And so when Mary says that in verse 48, Mary's humble state was not necessarily her state of personally not having a child like Hannah's was, uh, but it's the fact that the people of Israel, the nation of, of Israel's childlessness, uh, was that they were waiting for this promised one that was uh, supposed to be coming. They had been looking forward to this Messiah, this promised deliverer for hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, he had been prophesied time after time after time in the Old Testament. There are over 400 prophecies that point forward to this coming Messiah. And uh, this humble state that Mary talks about here, it acknowledges that uh, she was not able to do anything, nor were her people able to do anything uh, that could bring about their deliverance. All they could do is sit and wait for God to deliver them. Sit and wait for God to send this promised Messiah, this promised Savior to come and to work in their lives and save them from the things that they were unable to save themselves from. One thing that we can see that we're going to see time and time and time again, I just want to stop and point it out here, though, as Mary has mentioned her humble state. One key that we see time and time and time again throughout Mary's life, we've talked about it over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to see it a lot as we continue through her song, is Mary's humility. Mary was a simple girl, and she knew that there really wasn't a whole lot special about her, uh, but God had chosen to use her. God had blessed her, and uh, she is just amazed and overwhelmed at the fact that God is choosing to use simple little old Mary uh, to accomplish some incredible things in the world. So from that point, Mary proceeds forward to talk about how she is blessed and how God has blessed her. So uh, in verse 48, Mary celebrates the Lord because he has met her in her humbled state. And she continues to say that uh, that she gives a further reason for magnifying God. It says in verse 48, For he has regarded the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. 
just in case you were imagining as, as you read those words that there was any sense of pride or big-headedness about Mary, don't forget that we just one line before she talked about how generations would consider her blessed. She had just talked about how God had looked upon her in her humble state. So she understands that there's nothing special about her. But what we see here in this moment is, is a statement of wonder that all future generations will call uh, Mary blessed. It was a, a mind-boggling revelation for this young teenager. Uh, the way that she says, uh, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, it was, it, it was kind of a statement of surprise. Like, wow, can you believe that, that little old me, that, that people are going to remember my name, that thousands of years later, you and I are sitting here talking about this simple young girl, Mary, and she realized and acknowledged that uh, even in her humility, even in her uh, simplicity, there was nothing special about her. God was using her to do something incredible, and she is absolutely uh, blessed by the way that God cho chose uh, to work in her. The next thing that we see in the next couple of verses in 49 and 50, if we look at those, uh, we're going to see Mary's uh, divine celebration. Uh, in the, the last personal reason that we looked at, uh, we're going to see uh, three uh, divine perfections that she sings about how God is uh, divinely perfect in his power. Uh, we see that he is perfect in his holiness, and we see that he is perfect in his eternal mercy. In verses 49 and 50, it says, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. First, Mary talks about, uh, in these couple of verses, she talks about God's power. She had experienced God's power in an incredible way that most of us may not ever experience. Uh, uh, just a few days earlier at uh, the conception of Jesus, when uh, it says that the power of the Most High had overshadowed her. Prophetically, this baby that Mary was carrying was identified as the mighty God in the Old Testament. He was the mighty conquering hero that was going to come. And, and Jesus, she knew uh, by this point that Jesus was going to engage in mighty heroics. And uh, we know even now looking back that he uh, engaged in supernatural power, that, that he resurrected people from the dead, that he performed miracles that people had never performed before. And uh, he ultimately conquered uh, not only uh, sickness and, and not only the things that he was able to go around and minister and, and help heal, uh, but he conquered death, he conquered sin, he conquered the grave, and he gave uh, people like me and people like you hope that we can uh, live forever in heaven with God one day. And, and all of that uh, that he accomplished uh, points to the power, the might of how incredible God is and how incredible this son was that Mary was carrying in her womb. She also talks about uh, she says, holy is his name. Mary uh, was the first one uh, who knew that her son was going to be the Holy One of God. Gabriel uh, made that very clear to her. He clearly instructed her uh, about this in verse 35, uh, a few verses ago. And so she reflects that and she sings praise that holy is his name. She, uh, she, she, just, she points to the greatness of God in everything that she says here, that God had worked in her life and put this powerful, mighty, holy baby 
uh, inside of her. And finally, the final perfection that she talks about uh, is God's mercy. She talks about his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who will fear him. Mary, she, she recognized that God's mercy will extend far beyond just her. Uh, mercy, God had shown mercy to her, but uh, mercy characterizes God's dealings with all of his people. Mary's feelings in, in all of this, though, are clear. She realizes that God owes her nothing, but uh, seemingly she has been given uh, an incredible load that, that even though she didn't deserve it, uh, God has poured out just generously on her uh, an incredible uh, blessing that, that she is still trying to, to get a good grasp on what this all means practically in her life, but she is giving praise to God in spite of all of it. Mary's feelings are clear. God owes her nothing but she has received everything from him. So God has been merciful and, and gracious, and Mary has been reflecting during the first part of this song. Uh, she's been reflecting on how God has been gracious and given her personally so many incredible things that she has to be thankful for and to exalt and to magnify the Lord. Uh, but the second part of this uh, song that we're going to look at talks about the prophetic reasons to exalt the Lord. We're going to look at verses 51 through 56, and what we see in this second half is Mary moves from the personal reasons that she has to praise God to looking both backward at the way that God has worked in the Old Testament and prophetically pointing forward to the things that Jesus is going to do, and God is giving her supernatural insight through the power of the Holy Spirit on ways that God is going to work through Jesus that we're able to see in this song. So let's look at verses 51 through 55 together, this second half of the Magnificat. Verse 51, it says, He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. There are signs posted everywhere, all around us, all throughout this uh, passage that uh, are, are specifically for nobodies like me and, and nobodies like you. Uh, it says in verse 51 that God scatters the proud. It says in verse 52 that God topples the mighty. Verse 53 says that God sends the rich away empty, uh, but uh, it also says that the Lord exalts the lowly. Uh, he fills the hungry. Uh, if we want to know the riches of God's mercy, we simply need to acknowledge and realize that, that we are not special and, and acknowledge the, own, the, the poverty in our own lives, the, the simplicity, the we can't do it on our own. Uh, in our own lives. And so as we study this second half of the Magnificat, we see something that I thought was really interesting as I was studying this, because uh, we note that uh, Mary, she's she's prophesying, she's pointing to things that Jesus is going to do in future tense, but she talks about them as if they were in past tense. Uh, she says that he has performed, he has scattered, he has brought down, he has lifted up, he has filled, he has sent, 
Uh, he has helped. All of these things are in uh, past tense, but they're prophetic past tense, uh, which is a way that uh, prophets in the Bible, they would uh, talk about the future work of God as if it was so certain that it was going to happen that it had already been accomplished. So they would talk about it in past tense, even though it hadn't happened yet, because we know with absolute certainty that when God promises something, it's a done deal. And so these prophets would foretell the future in past tense, and that's what Mary's doing here. Uh, she uses this prophetic past tense, uh, but it was also historically informed. It was something that uh, she is is kind of sitting here with this cool thing going on where uh, prophetically she has one eye pointed forward toward the future, uh, but she also has one eye looking back uh, toward the past. So as we look at this section, uh, we're going to have to move quickly because I, I want to just uh, point out a few things, some really interesting Old Testament stories that Mary was uh, perhaps alluding to, ways that uh, these truths that Mary is talking about are uh, shown to us from the Old Testament, and then also talk about how she's pointing forwards uh, towards the work that Jesus was going to accomplish. So uh, in this second half of Mary's song, we see uh, the the mighty reversals of her Messiah son, uh, that he was going to bring a moral reversal, he was going to bring a social reversal, and he was going to bring a, a spiritual or a material uh, reversal. So the first thing that we look at in Luke one fifty one is a moral reversal. It says in verse 51 that he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart that uh, he would scatter those who were proud. Uh, this proud that Mary referenced, were uh, they were literally the, the ones who uh, were, were puffing themselves up, were showing themselves to be more important, to be preeminent over everyone else. And so historically, let's look back at uh, an example that perhaps Mary had in mind. Uh, there are numerous examples of this that uh, show up throughout Israel's history. People like uh, Pharaoh, people like uh, Haman, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar is another great example for this. Daniel chapter 4 talks about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and talks about the fact that he was so self-absorbed that uh, even though God had warned him with a dream uh, that uh, Daniel interpreted that uh, if he did not re renounce and repent of his sins, that a personal fall was coming for him. Uh, he still, he couldn't control his ego. He uh, would not be warned by this dream. And so uh, this incredibly conceited ruler, uh, he, he called down the mighty hand of God upon himself. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it talks about in Daniel chapter 4 that his, his mind snapped, that he went crazy. And uh, it talks about how he uh, got down on all fours and uh, would snort and bull his way around among uh, the castle and among the palace. And uh, just like any normal uh, beast of the field, he would uh, cast off his royal robes. He would uh, run around undignified and undressed and would eat grass all day uh, that, that he thought himself as an animal. And uh, his only interest was uh, in foraging for vegetation, for, for eating grass and, and spending his time in that way, in the same way that a, a cow or a bull or, or some other animal of the field would. But Daniel chapter 4, it also talks about how after seven years, uh, the king came to his senses and he finally, uh, he, he officially recorded, I want to read for you guys, uh, verses 34 and 35 from uh, Nebuchadnezzar's account in uh, Daniel 4. 
He says, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? His concluding observation that we see uh, just a couple of verses later in verse 37, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So uh, we see in the story of Nebuchadnezzar and and several others like him in the Old Testament that God is able to uh, humble the proud. If people will not morally turn from their sin, uh, God is able to humble these proud people and put them in their place. Mary's words are also, though, a prophecy in this verse as she points forward to the moral turning, the moral reverse that is brought about by uh, life in Christ. The birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus would bring about moral change in people's lives. People like me, people like you who have been given new life, given salvation in uh, the work that Jesus accomplished, uh, it it shows us in uh, Mary's words and and throughout the New Testament that uh, this son that she was going to bear uh, categorically, he he rejected the proud, the the ones who thought they had no need for help, that that didn't think they had sin that needed to be corrected. Uh, we see that in Matthew chapter twenty three, as uh, Jesus, uh, we could have picked a handful of examples from uh, the Gospels where Jesus uh, calls out the hypocritical religious leaders uh, of this day. Matthew twenty three, he says uh, to these religious leaders, he says, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. A couple of different times in the New Testament, both in James chapter 4 and in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see in both of these passages, uh, they quote a line from uh, Proverbs chapter 3. It says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those of, 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 of humanity uh, that uh, possess a sense of being good enough on their own, that they have this sense of, of moral superiority that just because of uh, some perceived position in life or uh, perhaps it's, it's they, they think there's some uh, spiritual supremacy about them, some spiritual excellence, uh, they're in for a rude awakening. And uh, people who think they are good enough on their own Uh, These verses uh, tell us that God opposes the proud. Those uh, people who are are prideful enough to think that they are good enough on their own, that God opposes those proud. Uh, And if they do not repent, if they do not realize the sinfulness of their attitudes and their actions, uh, their fate is a done deal. Uh, There is no person, uh, no human in the history of humanity aside from Jesus, the God-man, that has been good enough to meet God's standard of holy perfection, that has been able to to, to measure up to God's standard. And uh, just like with Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, just like uh, Jesus would point out to these religious leaders, the Pharisees, who really by by our standards uh, were great, good, godly people. They, they, they checked a lot of boxes. They were, honestly, they were probably more moral, uh, better people than, than I am or than you are. Uh, but unfortunately, 
uh, in their pride, they, they didn't realize their need for a Savior. And so uh, God opposed the proud, uh, but he gives grace to the humble. The next thing that we're going to see in verse 52 uh, in Mary's song, it, it talks about a, a social reversal, uh, an exchange of positions, social positions. Uh, in verse 52, she says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. Uh, looking back towards the history real quick, if we continued in the book of Daniel, uh, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, but immediately after that, uh, in Daniel chapter 5, we see uh, the story of the next leader that would come in Babylon, uh, the story of Belshazzar and how he falls from power and falls from his throne. Uh, among the great acts of pride in uh, biblical history, this story of Belshazzar's feast in Daniel chapter 5 has to rank right near the top of all of them. Uh, to, to give you uh, just a, a brief version of the story, if you're not familiar, uh, the armies of the Medes and the Persians, two incredibly powerful uh, nations during that time, they had devoured the civilized world. Most of the world, the known world, had been devoured by these two uh, empires, and uh, they were currently camped at the gates of Babylon. But Belshazzar, uh, king of Babylon, chose to have a feast. Instead of uh, being worried about his enemies at the door, he was so proud that, uh, that the walls would not fall, that their uh, city, their empire that he had built would not fall, uh, that he decided to throw a party instead. And during that feast, uh, Belshazzar uh, engaged in uh, just some significant uh, ritual blasphemy when uh, he demanded that uh, the, the, the temple uh, goblets, the gold and silver uh, instruments that were taken from uh, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, uh, he, he demanded that those be uh, got and brought back to him so that they could drink toasts from uh, the, the goblets or the, the cups that were taken from the temple. Uh, that they could drink toasts to the Babylonian gods. So as they are uh, having a, a grand old time, throwing this party and, and disrespecting uh, God and uh, the, the, the cups that were used from his temple, Daniel chapter 5 verse 6 uh, shows us uh, just a, a, a grave picture uh, when this, throughout this story, uh, in, in chapter 5, it talks about a bodiless hand that came and wrote on the wall uh, words of judgment that, that Belshazzar had stood against God and that God was going to judge him. Uh, and it, it shook Daniel, or it, it, excuse me, it shook uh, Belshazzar. So in verse 6, it says that the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Uh, one minute, Belshazzar was a, a proud, uh, boastful, defiant king that was leading blasphemous cheers and, and toasts. And the next moment, he was a wobbling, fainting coward. Uh, God had worked supernaturally, and uh, God was going to humble Belshazzar. Uh, Daniel was summoned and, and brought to the king and easily Fearlessly, uh, he was able to translate the strange message that had been written on the wall. And he tells the king, your kingdom is going to be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, Belshazzar, the, the king of the Babylonians, was he was killed. Uh, he was also, uh, he lost his kingdom. Darius the Mede uh, would take over that kingdom and uh, the, the city of Babylon fell. Uh, the empire of Babylon fell that night. 
However, we also see that uh, Darius retained Daniel, uh, put Daniel in a position of power and uh, had a, 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 an eye towards making him the chief administrator in all of Babylon. So we see from, if we look back now to Luke chapter 1, to Mary's lyrics in this song, uh, we see that uh, God has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. When she says those words, there is a, a, an incredible historical precedent where uh, God has humbled people. God has brought people off of the throne uh, in, in a snap, in a moment. Uh, this man, Belshazzar, who uh, was very much posturing himself against God, saying, look at me, look how incredible I am. God humbled him in a night. So in this story of Belshazzar, we see Mary kind of looking with one eye towards the past and, and pointing out how God would uh, humble the proud, would, would knock the proud off of their thrones. Uh, and uh, we also see that, that pointing forward from Mary's life, as if she were to uh, know and, and understand everything that, that Jesus would teach and that Jesus would uh, share in the good news of the gospel, this verse has incredible meaning for us now knowing Jesus's life as well. When she said, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. Uh, man, that is the message of the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? That that God has, has, has given generously to those who are humble, who realize that they are not enough on their own. Uh, the entire message of the gospel is uh, God gives to those who can't do for themselves. That, that if you think you're good enough on your own, uh, you're still going to measure up short. But for those who uh, would, would realize and would acknowledge their desperate need for God, uh, God is able and willing to give generously. Uh, it's why Peter in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, just the, the next verse after the one that we read earlier, uh, he says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that, at the, that he may exalt you at the proper time. God is going to knock the, the proud off of their pedestals, and he's going to raise up the humble and, and put them in positions of honor, in, in positions of respect and, and power, that he's going to give generously to those who realize their need. And so we see that as, as we look at this, the social reversal that Mary sings about. And finally, we see the, the, the material and spiritual reversal in verse 53. In verse 53, Mary sings, she says that he has filled the hungry with good things and has sent away the rich empty-handed. Historically, if, if Mary was looking back at Old Testament uh, teachings, she uh, the, the statement that she makes, he has filled the hungry with good things, that's actually taken from Psalm 107 verse 9 that says, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. The Old Testament talks about this idea of spiritually being hungry and talks about that being a good thing, being a blessed thing. Uh, Psalm 63 verse 1 says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, Psalm 42 talks about this same idea of spiritual hunger. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
those who uh, perceive that they are full, that they have enough, that they're good enough on their own, uh, they are actually in desperate need. Uh, how unfortunate, how tragic uh, is the, the, the damning effect of self-sufficiency, that, that when people think that they are good enough on their own, that they are actually positioning themselves as enemies of God. The rich young ruler in the stories of the gospel, the, the rich young ruler that came to Christ, he completely missed his opportunity to follow Jesus and, and receive salvation because not just because he wouldn't get rid of things, but more so I would argue that it was simply because he loved his stuff more than he realized his hunger and his need for Jesus. Uh, the desire that he had to build up material things had squashed his uh, spiritual appetite. There, there was a little bit of spiritual appetite there as he came to Jesus and, and asked uh, what he must do to inherit eternal life. But, but he loved stuff more than he loved Jesus, more than he was hungry uh, for Jesus and for spiritual things. In contrast to that, consider how Jesus responded to uh, the needy. Uh, we see stories uh, where Jesus would uh, find himself uh, making friends with the sick, with uh, prostitutes and tax collectors who uh, openly acknowledged their need for, them, for him, openly acknowledged their need for Jesus. Jesus was described as a friend of sinners. And he's quoted in Matthew 11, verse 28, as telling people, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. The, the message that Mary was able to point forward to Jesus and point back to the Old Testament, the message of Scripture is that God is always willing to help those who realize their need and cry out with a heart of desperation, God save me, God help me. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, sometimes we, we look at stories like this and we look at uh, people who uh, find themselves in positions where they never receive the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And we wonder, why has this happened? Why did they uh, why did they end up in that position? And the answer is that simply they, they didn't make a serious effort to do so. They, they simply didn't make the effort to, to come and to humble themselves before God and to acknowledge that their, their need for Him. Uh, they simply didn't ever uh, posture themselves and, and ask God for mercy because God uh, is willing to give mercy to anyone who would receive it. Uh, perhaps they uh, they have too much work. Perhaps they had too much going on in life. Perhaps they just didn't think that they needed God. But uh, those who have no hunger uh, for God, those who have no hunger uh, for the the mercy that God is willing to give, uh, they are sent away empty. They are sent away hungry. And finally, as we look at the last couple of verses in this section, we see uh, in verses 54 and 55 the incredible eternal mercy of God. Let's look at verses 54 and 55. It says, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Finally, as, as Mary comes to the end of her song, uh, she looks back on God's covenant promise to, to Israel that had been made uh, thousands of years earlier in Genesis chapter 12, uh, that, that God had made the promise to Abraham that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through Abraham and through his family. 
And she sings about the fulfillment of this promise again in past tense. She sings about it and says that he has helped his servant Israel. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Uh, what we see here is, again, that same thing that I talked about earlier, that, that Mary is talking about something that's going to happen in the life of Jesus, that Jesus is, is going to uh, offer salvation and uh, offer it freely to the nations of the world, that, that I can be here today saved by the mercy of God because of the work of Jesus. And uh, she is talking about uh, that fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham even though it's in the future, she's talking about it in the past tense because it is a done deal. When God makes his promises, when God says he's going to do something, he is going to do it. He is going to come through. He is going to, to fulfill every single thing uh, that he has promised to us. So uh, if we look back as we, as we wrap all of this up, Mary's song, it reveals to us some incredible truths about God's character, about God's attributes, and they're not just abstract ideas that, that she talks about, but they are uh, communicated in concrete relationship to real people. Uh, they are communicated in real ways, pointing to what Jesus is going to say and do in the world. They're, they're uh, communicated in real ways, pointing back to ways that God has worked throughout history and, and, and Mary looking back towards the Old Testament and things uh, that we have seen uh, play out in uh, God's opposition of the proud, but giving grace to the humble. God's attributes are not meant just to be understood, but they are meant to be experienced. They're meant to be lived in and seen in the everyday occurrences of life. So as Mary sings her song with one eye towards the past and one eye towards the future and the prophecy that she is speaking of as she's looking towards the life of Jesus, we see these moral reversals that just like Nebuchadnezzar was uh, humbled as he refused to uh, turn from his sin. Uh, people will be humbled if they do not turn from their sin. Uh, God will uh, reverse the morals of people. Uh, he also will reverse the social uh, lot of people. As petty as uh, Belshazzar was, as he uh, proudly boasted of how, look at all of this incredible kingdom that I have built, God in a moment uh, humbled the rich, uh, humbled the powerful like Belshazzar. And he, it talks about in scripture, raises up and, and loves and stands up for the poor and the oppressed. And finally, we see the spiritual reversals that uh, God has filled the hungry with good things, but he sends the rich away empty. Uh, those who will acknowledge and realize their need, acknowledge their need for Christ, acknowledge their need for a Savior, uh, God is willing and able to fill each and every one of those lives generously. Jesus turns the world on its head. Uh, Jesus came uh, to, to, to flip the script upside down. And St. Augustine, uh, a quote that I found from St. Augustine, uh, just communicates what, if I had to distill all of this, simplify all of this down to one statement, this is it. St. Augustine understood this idea implicitly, and he said, for those who want to learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second, and humility is the third. Uh, simply understanding our brokenness, understanding our need for a Savior and humbling ourselves, uh, 
really that is the truth of what Mary is singing about, what Mary is talking about. She, she, she does it in incredible ways artistically as she talks about how God has worked in the past and, and is going to work in Jesus in what was her future. But all of it points to people's desperate need for God. And all of this, all of this message, in my mind, it has, it has stirred a single question. And it's the question that I want to ask and finish with for you guys today. Have you allowed pride to creep into your own heart? Do you find yourself in a position like Belshazzar or like Nebuchadnezzar or like uh, the religious leaders who believed that, that they were enough on their own, that they had done enough good things that, that God was going to be pleased with them, that they were going to measure up somehow to God's standard, that, that they were sufficient? Have you allowed pride to, to creep into your life in a way that you believe that you are sufficient, that you're good enough on your own? Or do you, like so many other incredible characters in the Bible, do you, like Mary realizes and speaks of in this Gospel of Luke, do you realize how you have an incredible need for a Savior? Do you realize that that you need to humble yourself before the Lord and beg and plead for mercy every day? every moment of the day. We are not good enough to meet up to God's standards on our own, but God is graciously willing to give uh, to us, to give generously to us, and to use broken people and broken things like me to accomplish incredible things in the world. And so we are going to pray, and we are going to sing a song that, that sings really clearly about this idea that God is able to use broken and humble things like me and like you to accomplish incredible things in the world. So would you pray with me, church? God, we thank you for this reminder that, 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 that humble Mary uh, acknowledged how incredibly you had blessed her and worked in her life. And God, we pray that as we look at uh, these stories of prideful men, uh, as we look at these stories of uh, people who thought they were good enough on their own and and compare and contrast them to uh, the humility of uh, people like uh, Mary, uh, people like Daniel, uh, people throughout Scripture, throughout the story of the Bible, you use broken and sinful and insufficient on their own people to do incredible things because you are able to, God, to do whatever it is that you want. So God, we pray that you would use broken people like me, broken people like like each and every person that's out there listening. God, help us realize our need for you and God, use us to do incredible things in the world. God, use us to, to, to take this message of salvation and to take it out and to proclaim it everywhere that we have opportunity. So God, uh, we pray that you would use us. Use broken things like me to accomplish your work in the world. God, thank you uh, for this message of the gospel. Thank you for Mary's song, The Magnificat, and thank you for using broken people like me. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.